you know, Serena, I know that puberty is coming for Eli, but I really didn't expect it to start before two years old. (laughs) (gasps) I know, right? Nico is the same. He's just, you know, two, will be two and a half in August, and he's so demanding and just the tantrums and like the mood and the the sass i know the terrible two is going on to puberty i guess but in all seriousness the yeah. puberty is starting a lot earlier i'm not eli's not going through puberty before two but it's it's definitely something that we're seeing in the office getting younger and younger and younger yeah and it's concerning as a mother now um it's very concerning mama welcome parents to raising amazing Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Gator-Warsh, board-certified pediatrician specializing in integrative medicine. And I'm Serena Vincent. I'm an actor, writer, and new mother. Join us in learning and laughing as we navigate through the messy path of parenthood. And together, let's begin Raising Amazing. I don't know. Serena, do you remember when you started puberty? How old were you? It's so funny. I've never, I haven't talked about this in so long. Um... (laughs) I was. I felt like I was actually on the older side. Mm-hmm. I, I I was like fourteen, almost fifteen actually. Okay. Um, so I felt like you know I w- went to school with girls who had started their periods you know much earlier. Um, so I felt like I was more on the older side. Mm-hmm. But but now th- that's not the normal now. I mean it, it it's certainly within the range of normal, but that's mm-hmm. not that common. I would say more. Most kids are starting on the younger end. We're seeing it like 9, 10, 11. Yeah. Well, like I have a sister who's 10 years younger, and she mm-hmm. started much, much earlier, like a completely different experience. And then I've worked with, you know, so many kids in my uh, career and have so many kids in my family and my life. And, um, yeah, it's it's frightening and shocking how early puberty is starting. And know, it's and, not and, 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 normal, it, right? It, it, it's not, I mean, it's a, it's a tough question, right? Because we define normalcy as what is, you know, average or what most people are, most kids are, are going through or most people are going through. But just because, you know, let's say half the kids are going through puberty at eight doesn't mean that that is normal or what is best for us. Right. But it doesn't also mean it's an issue. So I think it's, it's a really important topic. It's certainly something I get asked about a lot in the office. Yeah. And there is a lot of concern from, from parents and, and specialists because the age just keeps going uh, younger and younger and younger and and we don't know why there's a lot of theories and and we're pretty sh- many people are pretty sure that it has to do with chemicals and, mm-hmm. and toxins and you know maybe it's not the only thing but it's certainly a big uh big player in that and this is an important topic because you know i don't i don't think we want our kids going through puberty when they are two <laughs> you know <laughs> you know right no it's i mean it's so sad for so many reasons just the, you know our world that is infiltrated with toxins but also you know to see it affect our kids in this way um and you know we want them to be kids as long as they can Mm -hmm. life's tough and and you want you want their bodies to go through puberty and to go through the phases of life when it's optimal for them to be healthy and younger isn't necessarily better and older isn't necessarily better but we need to find that sweet spot uh and it seems like we're we're starting to meander outside of the sweet spot such a bummer um but today we have a really incredible guest we have dr aviva ram and she's going to talk she's just 
a genius. She is brilliant when it comes to everything about hormones. I've followed her, her for years, but she also has a lot of really incredible thoughts and advice about um, early puberty. And she has a new book coming out this week called Hormone Intelligence. And she discusses this in the book as well as many other things. But anyway, it was, it's a really incredible interview. And I just love her. If any of you saw my Instagram live with her this week, we talked about my, um, we got really honest for the first time about my uh, hormonal issues and endometriosis. You can go on my Instagram and and, and check that out. But Dr. Gator and I had a, a really, really enlightening conversation about early puberty. Yeah, I'm going to echo that. She's one of the one of the greats. I mean, she's been doing this for a while. She been doing podcasting and all this stuff for years and years and years. I think she has one of the top health podcasts. She has many uh, courses and books and she is a guru in pregnancy and women's health and pediatrics and teen health she she's really uh you know jack of all trades and, and she's she's phenomenal so you guys are really going to enjoy this interview let's get right into it today we have with us aviva ram she is a world-renowned midwife and herbalist who also happens to be a yale trained md and board certified family physician with specialties in integrative gynecology obstetrics and pediatrics her new book hormone intelligence explores the impact of the world we live in on hormones and health and brings us a new medicine that is at once holistic and natural while being grounded in the best science that medicine has to offer she is also the mother of four and a grandma of two. Thank you so much for being here, Aviva. We're just truly, truly honored. Thank you so much. It's such an honor. It makes it, me it, really happy. Thank you. It, re it really is an honor. I love talking to you. You're a wealth of knowledge and, you know, I always love chatting. So let's just jump right into it. Do We're it. going to talk about puberty today. We're going to talk about hormones. And, and this really actually has become a big uh, topic of discussion at the office and for parents and I think it's surprising especially given everything going on you know there's lots of other stuff in the world but you know, puberty has become a big issue especially because it seems yeah. like it's getting younger and younger and when we're talking about precocious or early puberty uh, there's different definitions depending on where you read but usually it's you know eight years old for girls and earlier or nine-year-olds and boys or there's different definitions but somewhere around there um, but you know when we were growing up puberty was was later you know there was lots of talk about you know being 10 11 12 13 and now it's getting down to eight, nine, and ten. So let's talk about first what is what is normal? What is normal puberty? What should parents be expecting? And then when should they be concerned if, if they're seeing things earlier? Well, this is a really critical question. As you said, there it depends on kind of where you look, what the guidelines are. But the way early puberty is defined as two to two and a half years younger than the average of the population that you're in. So right now in the US, for example, if the average population age of puberty for girls is 10, then two to two and a half years younger is eight. That's still considered normal. So the question is, what are we actually defining as normal? So, you know, if, if somebody said, well, everyone walking around with a limp is normal if the rest of the population has a broken leg, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that's still not normal. And so we're sort of saying like, that's, that's what it's, what's okay. So stepping back, we know 
that the average age of puberty, so defining puberty, it's the development of breasts, pubic hair, and then ultimately menstruation in girls and boys, obviously not the menstruation in boys. But, and then there's all that gender fluidity too. So, you know, I'm just gonna use kind of traditional terms so that, so I think folks will know what I'm talking about. So in girls, you have breast development, pubic hair development, which is armpit and pubic, typically what we think of pubic, and then period, usually a couple of years later. Over the past 50 to 60 years, the age at which girls, like so compared to our great grandmothers and grandmothers, were getting their period was more like 14 to 16 back then. And now it's more like 10 to 12, and that's considered normal, even though we've seen this drop in time, over time. But what's not being discussed so much is the fact that the age at which girls are starting to have breast development can be as young as seven years old. That's wow. completely new. That never happened before. So, you know, we have to think, okay, just because it's common, is it normal? And why is this happening when all of human history before that, we didn't see that? Right, and, and that's, a big, that's a, it's a big change over, over 50 years, right? That, it you is know, a big <laughs> change. And it's not, and it's interesting too, like when you look at um, white girls, it's really significant when you start to look at girls of African descent, so black girls in the US, in the population of kids who are having early puberty, it's like 48% when you get into the African-American population. And then Latina girls fall closer to the African-American population than to white population. So there are factors that are happening like across all girls that definitely have a greater impact in certain already at-risk populations. And then you're like, well, okay, well, why does it matter? So what if my daughter gets her breast development at 12 versus 10? I mean, at you know, 12 versus 10 versus eight. And it actually is really significant because what we've seen is that the younger a girl has breast development, the more likely she is to be at risk for all kinds of um, challenges in her life. So girls who have uh, early breast development, even if they don't get their periods early, are more like twice as likely to have anxiety, depression, suicidality later. Um, much more likely to develop problems related to too much estrogen exposure because it's part of what we're, you know, part of what explains the problem. So later gynecologic problems. Also, those girls are much more likely to be having sex earlier and to be using drugs and alcohol more abusively and at younger ages. And part of what is thought to be happening is that, you know, as, you know, I mean, you and remember Serena, like I remember puberty, like when your breasts start to develop, I can remember the boys in seventh grade treated me differently when my breasts started to develop, right? Mm -hmm. They look at you differently. Eventually men start looking at you differently, but this is happening to girls who are seven and eight years old. They're more at risk for sexual abuse, um, sexual advances, and they're also at an age where, I mean, it's hard enough for an adult to sometimes fend off advances that. they don't want, let alone a seven or eight year old. So there's huge impacts on self-esteem. So it is really important. So I would say, you know, we don't want to pathologize girls and, and sort of like, oh my gosh, now my girl's at risk for all these things because she's having breast bud development at seven or eight. But we do need to be more aware of is this happening? First of all, there can be medical reasons. So, you know, as you know, Joel is a pediatrician, mm -hmm. there can be hormonal problems, there can be very rarely, but there can be genetic or even um, 
tumors causing early puberty. There can be adrenal, like true, not when people say adrenal fatigue, but true adrenal issues, thyroid issues. So we do want to make sure that our daughters are getting a proper medical workup. Um, and this is, this is happening in boys, but it's much more significant in girls. So we want to make sure our girls are getting a proper medical workup to make sure there's nothing else going on if we do see any of these changes early. I mean, really under eight, personally even under nine, it would raise, raise my alarm bells just a little bit if I, when I see that in a, a young patient. Starting to be nine and over breast bud development is considered normal, so I wouldn't do anything necessarily special at that point. Mm -hmm. But under that, I would definitely say time for a little workup and time to step back and say, what are the factors that may be contributing to this that I do have some control over for my daughters? And then That's talking with their girls. Ask you. Yeah. What do you think is causing the earlier and earlier puberty? So, you know, prior to 70 years ago, there were really no major environmental chemical exposures that our daughters were getting or that any of us were getting. And then there was this campaign literally called Better Living Through Chemistry. And it was after World War II, it was the advent of antibiotics. So penicillin was used for everything. Antibiotics became used for everything, but not just that household cleaners, eventually plastics, herbicides and pesticides in our foods. And not to sound you know, like a conspiracy theorist because I am totally not, but when you look at the work of people like Dr. Philip Landrigan, who's the one who actually discovered lead was causing IQ problems in kids and got lead, got, literally got the lead out, mm -hmm. um, we know that these environmental chemicals act as what are called endocrine disruptors. Mm -hmm. So they're actually disturbing our children's hormones before really they're even born. So as pregnant mamas and dads too, um, we wanna think about what our exposures are to the extent that we can. Definitely while we're pregnant, reducing exposures. And then certainly when our kids are little and they're found, I mean, it's kind of scary and they're really actually found everywhere like flame retardant baby clothes flame retardant car seats bobbies that we mattresses. put our babies on mattresses home furnishings your computers our computers are flame retardant and it's not a fixed chemical so it actually liberates onto our hands into our environment um just the you know environmental pollution that we track in on our shoes from when we're walking around outdoors um, you know, if, I mean, it's expensive. I know it's a little more expensive, but what our babies and children are getting in packaged foods, um, you know, all those juice packages, all the like the little sippy things that are in plastic, um, those things really add up. Sunscreen, baby soaps, baby lotions, I and to ask all the you way about, through childhood. Yeah. I want to ask you about that. Um, I'm one of those people that I get an, an immediate intense migraine with any perfumes or... Mm -hmm candles anything fake yeah smell. I mean it, and so I've had to remove it completely from my life and I mean I can't sit next to someone at a, at a restaurant not that we're sitting next to anybody at a restaurant yeah. right now but you know with the perfume on um all of or just things. fake people in general you know you can't be near them right. yeah well and here's the thing Serena <laughs> I mean you know people like who have that are almost branded as chemically like there's a term like chemical sensitivity and you'd think it's like the rare person or like, oh, they're just being neurotic. But actually, it's so significant mm -hmm. that even when I was in my medical training at Yale and at Tufts, we were not allowed to wear any body fragrances because 
patients are so triggered, like so many people are triggered by it. And the way I think of it is like, we blame the messenger, like we blame the person, like you're too sensitive. Mm -hmm. But really, I feel like people who are sensitive are the canaries in the coal mine. They're the ones Mm -hmm. that are Mm -hmm. still sensitive to what the rest of us have gotten numbed out to. And we know like human beings get numbed out. So like the Uber driver who's got that Uber scent thing going on all day, they don't smell it anymore. Because, because you, thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But you get blunted to it. And so mm-hmm. your receptors are still picking it up. It's still affecting you as a hormone disruptor, but you're not even noticing it. So and the that, advantage... And the humans, oh, I just yeah, want to say, because humans are, humans are so amazing, right? We have these amazing detoxification systems, yes. and we can handle things to a different degree. And there are certain people that they just can't handle you know, certain stimuli, and that sends them over the edge and we know that with like people that are eating gluten you know some people can eat a little bit and they're okay they eat a little bit more and they have a yeah. big issue some people can eat none but a lot of people if they take out things that are triggering them and then they put it back in they actually realize how much of an issue it was but you don't even totally. know it until you stop mm-hmm. just yeah. like you're saying so it's like this level where you know maybe serena is is more chemical sensitive aff- aff- well, effective but is, we all are <laughs> yes that's the thing i feel like people who have these multiple chemical sensitivities are the ones we should be listening to and paying attention to. I mean, this is how I think of it. Like if you were in a movie, yes. Well, if you were in a movie theater and let's just say you could have like a personal watch that had a smoke detector on it, right? So let's say Serena, you're the person with the personal watch with the smoke detector on it that sets off like at the smallest particle of smoke and your watch is going off that's saying nobody else in the theater can hear it but your watch is saying that there's a fire somewhere and everyone else is waiting for like the major smoke detector to go on that doesn't pick it up until it's like already blazing are we waiting for the blaze to happen or are we listening to the people who are like i've got this little sensitive thing going on that's telling me there's a problem here and that's part of what's happening with our daughters is that they are still in the formative years. It doesn't take, you know, we think about like scientists will say, oh, well, it's like, it's only like one part per hundred trillion. And, but then you think about your hormones and it's like one part per hundred trillion of estrogen may set off puberty, right? Yeah, and are, so, are we in the fire now? The kids are going through puberty are. five, six, seven years earlier than they were 50 years ago. That can't be normal. That can't be it's, a good thing. That's just the scary be. thing, though. <laughs> See, that's the scary thing is when you say that can't be normal, it's now considered normal, right? So it's the new normal. So we confuse normal, meaning average, everyone's experiencing it with like healthy normal for human beings. And so like if it wasn't normal, however many eons we've been on the planet and we've only been experiencing it for 50 years since we've had all these other insults to our bodies and environment and hormones how can we call that normal but that's the problem doctors are calling it normal because that's what we're taught oh well it's too it's still within that like two two standard deviations of normal so okay she's eight but that's now considered normal I just want to play devil's advocate for a second, and yeah. I don't even believe what I'm about to say, but I want to hear your opinion on it. So what do, you, what, what do you say to somebody who says, well, actually, kids are going through puberty because we're healthier, we have, uh, we have more nutrition, we're getting more calories, we're living longer, you know, even though the health is going, actually, we're not living longer, but we're living longer than we were 100 years ago. Um, so maybe that's why things are moving earlier. So what's your response back the other side where people would would argue well actually it's not necessarily unhealthy it's just that we're healthier so we get starting puberty earlier 
Well, it's really interesting. So first of all, um, there are extremes, right? So we do know that malnutrition, extreme malnutrition, low calorie intake, right? So you're just, you're, you're starving, um, will delay puberty extensively. It's like our body's brilliant mechanism for um, protecting us from getting pregnant when we don't have the energy to expend, right? But on the other hand, you can be overnourished, overfed and undernourished, and that's part of what we're seeing. It's not, first of all, um, you know, this is the first generation of kids that isn't actually living longer than its parents' generation. So that's like the first time that's happened in, in I think, what, like almost a century or at least mm-hmm. some 60, 70 years. So we're not, our kids aren't actually getting the benefits of this greater longevity necessarily. Certainly, yes, than 150 years ago when people had like polio and diphtheria and all that stuff, um, but they're not. And we're in a state where there's overnutrition. So we've kind of overshot the sweet spot, right? That sweet spot is not, and, and we're not just, and here's the thing, we're seeing it in kids more frequently that are, overfed if you will so greater weight which one would think is a sign of better nutrition and mm-hmm. etc is actually one of the bigger triggers so overweight more likely to go into early puberty which is part of why we're seeing higher rates in the black and latina um, community of girls because there's more obesity and less adequate nutrition in those communities so mm-hmm. yeah there you because have they it. don't have access to it's a bigger problem right they don't have yeah. access to it's Exactly right. Foods. As um, as uh, Leah Penniman from Soul Fire Farm calls it, food apartheid. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are in, entire communities of people who are at most at risk for not just early puberty, but also for the risks of um, drug exposure, um, emotional challenges based on socioeconomic status and lack of access. Also, um, women of African descent are more at risk of two diseases of higher estrogen so we see more things like fibroids and breast cancer in those communities and so this early puberty is a setup for that because what's happening is estrogen is getting triggered earlier so these girls are getting a longer lifetime exposure to the more potent and potentially more harmful form of estrogen Let's talk about some positive stuff because it's, yes. it's, it's, yes. it's a big, heavy topic. It's important, and I think it's really important that we identify what's going on because the only way we're going to make changes and prevent, you know, going from seven to five to, th- you know, three-year-olds going through puberty is to change the curve and, and totally. we're going in the wrong direction. So we need to talk about this. So what, yes. what are some of the big uh, solutions that, that you have, you, you've come across in your research and you know, in your book? Uh, in terms of what people can actually do. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so here's the thing. The things that we can actually do, I mean, obviously there need to be like big systemic policy shifts, especially for higher risk communities, but there just need to be big systemic policy shifts. I think medically we also need to rethink how we keep redefining things as normal that aren't normal. But on an individual level, all the things that we would do to protect our children in general and to like optimize their health are the same things that would ideally help to prevent early puberty so mom eating a healthy diet during pregnancy there there is some some evidence that increased um inflammation in the mom during pregnancy may actually predispose to some inflammation and changes that may predispose to 
higher weight and early puberty in girls. So moms, you know, doing everything they can to prevent gestational diabetes. Doesn't mean if you have it, your baby's gonna have all the, you know, your child's gonna have all these problems, but we're talking optimal here. Taking a prenatal vitamin while you're pregnant, um, taking fish oil while you're pregnant, because we know that supports baby's brain health, but also inflammation, eczema, allergies, all that. Taking a probiotic late in pregnancy, third trimester, third of all women are gonna have a C-section, so a third of all babies aren't gonna be exposed to vaginal microbiome when they're born. We know that mom taking a pre, uh, probiotic in the third trimester may help, help offset some of those implications, and that may help normalize baby's microbiome, support healthy weight, healthy, you know, healthy inflammatory control, et cetera. So those is, is there a certain uh, probiotic that you like for pregnancy specifically? There's not one specific I like for pregnancy. Um, I have kind of gravitated to the Claire products just because they have a nice um, arc, you know, of mm-hmm. of newborn products too. I happen to really like the um, Women's Pro Flora by Integrative Therapeutics because mm-hmm. it's got the um, Lactobacillus ruteri and Rhamnosus, which may be especially beneficial for vaginal flora health, which can mean healthier pregnancies, not going into labor preterm, that kind of stuff. So I do like those two. Those are great ones. I wish um, I would have done that with my pregnancy. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I didn't do it with mine either because nobody knew it. My kids are great. They're like all adults and they're healthy. And it was like, um, you know, we just do what we can when we yeah. know. And these are things to optimize. Again, it's like, what can we do? Optimally, but it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong if you right. didn't do these things or don't do these things. And it doesn't mean you. It doesn't mean if you do, it's going to prevent everything you know that's ever going to happen to your kid. And it doesn't mean if you don't, it your kid's going to end up with any health problems no, at but if, all. If we can do a little better, we need to do a little better. Which exactly. Is why, why exactly. We're doing this. And I then I think you- one of the biggest things that you can do is do everything you can to keep plastics out of your kid's environment. So. Mm-hmm. And plastics aren't just like plastic toys, plastic baby bottles, plastic drinking bottles. Those are all really important, um, you know, pacifiers that have plasticizers in them. But you were mentioning, Serena, the sensitivity to perfume. Mm-hmm. And we tend to use a lot of perfumed things in our environment. Those perfumes, when they're synthetic, are created by something called phthalates. And phthalates are essentially part of what makes plastic soft, but they also create olfactory scents, so they create scent, and they are absolutely endocrine disruptors. So using, if you're gonna use baby products, make sure that if they have any scent in them, it's like very mild and from only natural essential oils, no synthetic fragrances, and then really like not storing your baby's food in plastic containers, don't heat babies and children's food up, in plastic containers in the microwave, mm-hmm. give them glass or stainless steel water bottles, juice bottles, all of that. I'm actually kind of a stickler for that. And then if kids do eat dairy, make that organic. Like whatever you else you, you know, if I know organic can be expensive for some people, but if you do include dairy, that should be organic. And keep red meat to a minimum. Studies are controversial about dairy whether or not it does increase endocrine disruption in kids but some studies do lean in the direction that it does but red meat has been associated actually with increased inflammation increased estrogen so those are some of the things that i really encourage you know just focus on fish uh, plant-based sources of food and then 
teaching kids from an early age to eat vegetables, eat legumes, you know, like lentils and chickpeas goes such a long way into helping them be healthy. Such great advice. Thank you. I want to talk about your book that comes out June 8th. Yes. um, From Harper One, Hormone Intelligence. Again, I've been a fan and a follower of yours for a really long time. So I'm looking forward to this book. Tell everyone what they can find in your book. Mm. So the book is about why so many women are going through hormonal challenges, endometriosis, PCOS, why our girls are going into puberty early. So it starts with um, menstruation and it goes all the way through menopause and it helps us understand what's normal, what's not, how to optimize normal, how to be our own best empowered healers and get what we need when we do need to go into the medical model. It's got a six-week approach taking a root cause approach. So looking at diet, gut, stress, sleep, um, inflammation, etc., detoxification pathways and how we can use those at any age to optimize our hormone health, but also really reverse or halt some common and troubling conditions. And then it also has, based on my medical practice, which is now 37 years of working with women as a midwife and a physician, um, advanced protocols for many different common women's health conditions, but also supporting what's normal. And then, oh, there's five weeks of recipes right from my kitchen and um, five weeks of meal plans. So they're done for you, right? Like, it's not the hardest part. Like, what am I going to eat for dinner? So the meal plans are done for you. And then there's beautiful, easy to follow recipes. Oh, that's amazing. And and we got a question that's semi-related. And I really like this question because Mm -hmm. I think it's something that, you know, we talk about a lot in the office. So it's from Alyssa. uh, And she wanted to know when do you and how do you talk to your kids um, your family and your patients about puberty, menstruation. So when when do you talk about it? How early? And what are some of your tips that, that you actually discuss with them? Because, you know, that's everybody wants to know this. <laughs> Hi, Alyssa. Thank you for your great question. So I think it has to do with, one, what your personal comfort level is. And, um, you know, that's going to be different for people of all different backgrounds. And then also kind of reading your audience, right? Like I wouldn't talk to kids who clearly aren't wanting that information yet if they're under say like age 10 if you know if they're just not asking about it I wouldn't necessarily say well here's what's going to happen when you get your period but around that age definitely starting to have frank conversations but from the time that they're really young you know being open about our bodies talking about you know if you're the mom and you have your period you know, it's not, don't make it like a hush-hush thing. You don't have to hide your tampons and pads. You don't have to like lock the bathroom door. You can just make it kind of normal. Um, doesn't mean you have to change your, you know, stuff in front of them, but just like, oh yeah, a mom's feeling a little bit more um, quiet today. My period just started. Oh, what's that mom? And then you can explain it, but just give information that's um, scientifically accurate using real terms and that's not scary or alarming make it as normal and casual as possible and then answer questions that you're you know and and give the opportunity to answer questions the other thing that's really important is you know from the earliest age 
kids play with themselves. I mean, if you have little babies, you know, boys are already reaching down their diaper, feeling around oh, yeah. for stuff. Right? <laughs> all and the time, so, all the time. Exactly. <laughs> and so what do we tend to do? We tend to shame them in some way, you know, slap their hand away, move their hand, say, don't do that, don't do that in public. And sometimes that's appropriate, right? Uh, you know, not shaming kids from the earliest age. Yes, they might not want their hand, you might not want their hand down their diaper when grandma's over or you're at grandma's house or in the supermarket. So setting healthy boundaries in a way that isn't shaming. Um, you know, and then just really being open about bodies to the level you're comfortable with and that's appropriate for you. So if you're getting out of the shower and your child walks in the room, you know, that's okay. And then when they get to a certain age, seven, eight, nine, ten you know, shut the door part of the way and let them choose to come in whether they want to come in or not, um, you know, so that they're not, it's not foisted on them. But then when it comes to um, understanding their bodies, you know, you're still going to see, you know, when they're eight, nine and 10, they're probably still running around sometimes without clothes or you're giving them a bath and you start to notice that little bit of armpit hair forming or a little bit of fuzz, at the, you know, around their pubic area you can start to say, oh, like, do you notice this change in your body without embarrassing them? And if they're like, mom, you know, find a way to be comfortable talking and just open the door. Like you can talk with me anytime. With girls and boys, I think it's important to talk about, first of all, with gender fluidity, I think it's really important to be able to talk with kids about what's happening across genders so that they're understanding and having that door open because I think what we're seeing now with kids is so um, it's so fluid mm -hmm. that they may be experiencing things that are very different than what we think or expect that they would be experiencing um, for their gender so talking with them openly without projecting stuff onto them just about like this is what girls go through this is what boys go through without genderizing it to them um, and then when girls start to get toward puberty I would definitely start having like, oh, here's what happens when you get your period. And, you know, talking about sexual drives in a comfortable, confident way and letting them know it's normal to have, you know, feelings. Um, yeah. And then, you know, there are um, resources online, books, if you're not comfortable, that um, you can look at and get guidance from. Also talking to your friends who have kids who are older than you could be really helpful. I'll never forget though. We were in the kitchen. I was in the kitchen. So I have four kids who are now 36 down to 27. But we were in the kitchen and my two youngest were like seven and nine and seven. And the nine-year-old just said, So do you and dad have like have you do you and dad have sex? And the seven-year-old, before I even had a chance to answer, the seven-year-old said, well, obviously they do. I mean, they've done it at least four times because they have four <laughs> kids. <laughs> and then another time, another time, my husband and I were legit going up to our bedroom to talk about holiday gifts for the kids. And so we were like, guys, we're going upstairs to talk about your holiday gifts we have to plant. And one of them says, like, holiday gifts. Well, make sure to bring a condom to wrap them with. And I was oh just my like, God. oh, my God. So... And they, that kid was like that kid was like nine at the time. So this is the they, rated R portion of the podcast. I know, but here's, here's here's the thing. Like point being is they already know stuff. They're already thinking stuff. So using those little moments as opportunities. The other thing is that a lot of times kids get to an age and they really don't want to hear it. They're like la 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 la. I used to use the car as a kind of captive audience opportunity because I would be driving. 
and they would be sitting in the back. And so, especially if I had like just one-on-one -on -one with one of my kids, well, usually if it was one-on-one -on -one and they were old enough, they were in the passenger seat, but- My mom did the um, same thing. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is like, then they don't have to look at you if they don't want to, and you can sort of like bring it up, but they can't just like, I'm leaving now, you know? Um, so those are gentle opportunities to have the conversation too. Anything you can relate to animals, nature, watching nature shows um, also can really help kind of normalize the conversation. Love it. Those are great tips. Yeah. But I will tell you like, you know, I mean, it's funny. It's like, I, here I am, the midwife, doctor, mom, and my daughters were like, we don't want to hear about it from you, mom. Whereas their friends, used to call me and ask me things and their friends still call me and now they text me and ask me things so it's sometimes also nice if you have a girlfriend or a best friend or a sister or auntie who can have the conversation that they're too uncomfortable having with mom and then you may be having it with your sister's kids or your best friend's kids and then your best friend's having it with you and you just kind of talk ahead of time about you know what's fair game and at what point, you know, the two moms have an agreement or dads have an agreement of like what crosses a line that you are going to tell each other about. So, you know, the, the kids always have a safe other person to go to, which I think is incredibly important. That's yeah. great advice. It really is. Such good advice. Such great tips. <laughs> so here at Raising Amazing, we, we want everyone to start thinking. There's a lot of chaos and turmoil and, and sadness in the world. And yeah. We want people looking for the silver linings. So can you tell us what the most amazing part of your last year has been? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So I, ha as I said, my kids are 30, almost 36, 36 next week down to 27. And um, we had an opportunity where one of our kids moved home for six months and just having her here, like you just, how often do you get that opportunity where your grown-up child who's out in the world comes home to stay. And I'm um, just having one of our other daughters living nearby. Um, it's just been really special to have that um, more intense time together. Definitely. That's, yeah. it's, it's been Beautiful. definitely one of the silver linings for yeah. sure. And, and you know, thank you so much for chatting with us. You know, there's so many places you can find you online. Um, but definitely check out the, uh, the new book uh, coming out June 8th, right? Hormone yep. Intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're in the future hearing this, then you know you missed it. So it's out now if you're listening to this after June 8th. But uh, check out that book because it's going to be really awesome. I'm really excited. You have a lot a of books. <laughs> I do. This one yeah. feels really special. It really, really does. Do you want to mention maybe a couple of other, because I know you have a lot of courses online that are not necessarily about hormones. There's a lot of other cool stuff that you do with pregnancy yeah. and birth. Maybe take mm -hmm. a second just to mention some of those things, because you have some really, really cool, awesome products in a lot of different Thank you. fields. Well, you know, one of the other things that's been really amazing about this year is that when, um, when COVID first struck, pregnant moms were being told they had to go into the hospital and give birth alone. No doula, mm -hmm. not even their partner. Yeah. So I went into high gear, kind of pulling my midwife hat, you know, dusting my midwife hat off and created this online program. Starting out, the idea was to help ad help women advocate for themselves if they had to birth in the hospital. It was called um, I Deserve Birth Support. But that blossomed into an entire pregnancy birth, postpartum and new baby care program. We've had 9,000 people go through it for free. 
and just beautiful stories and testimonies, like 40 hours of classes. So we've been doing it for free for a year. And that's now morphing into something called the Mama Pathway, which you can find right over at my website, avivaram.com. It's always going to be really affordable. It's also always going to be accessible. No questions asked. If somebody can't afford it, you could do it for free. But it's a beautiful membership community. We've been doing a once a week support group for the entire year. I've been running it or my graduates um, from my online programs who are health professionals, nurse midwives, midwives, doulas, uh, lactation consultants. It's, it's been so moving and so stunning. And it doesn't matter where you're having your baby, how you're choosing to have your baby. It's a completely judgment-free zone. It's just really about how to optimize you know, the happiest, most joyous, and also most empowered experience for yourself and your partner and your baby. So that is something I am just incredibly happy about and proud of. And that's been the other just beautiful joy of, of um, or the beautiful silver lining of this past year. So it's called the Mama Pathway. You can still, as of now, and probably through June of 2021, access all the content for free at hashtag I deserve birth support on Facebook. But after that, it'll be at the Mama Pathway. But look at the Mama Pathway on my website. It's so beautiful. And you'll see like just a host of the courses that you'll, you'll get. Incredible. It's good stuff. I, I, I vouch for I vouch for everything that you do. There's a lot Aww. of great a lot of great you. you know doctors, midwives out there, but you're probably at the top of the top. I mean, there's not many people that I would trust their advice more than, than Aww, you. So. Thank you. Even though I have my own crystal here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you have your own crystal. <laughs> this is, this is the weirdest thing that's ever happened online. <laughs> Um, you're brilliant. My sister in law oh sit around you. and I my sister in law and I sit around and talk about how brilliant you are and you're you have everybody should check out her website, avivaram.com, correct? Yes. Um, because you have so much inf- information about all kinds of things, hormones, thyroid. You have it's there's so much there. Thank, thank you. you for all of your work and oh, thank you such for being a pleasure. Here. Thank you guys. Thank you. I love raising amazing. It's the best name and you guys are awesome. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, she's just so amazing. She's so brilliant. I love chatting with her. I've spoken with her, you know, in the summit uh, last year and, and on several interviews. And and she's just so wise. And and it's crazy with the with the toxins. It's crazy of what's going on with with puberty. And it just keeps getting earlier and earlier. But it, it's also this you know common theme. We've had common themes throughout. Uh, the podcast about healthy eating, but also about toxins and, and chemicals and how they're affecting us, and, and they're absolutely affecting teens too and kids. Right, and these endocrine disruptors. I love how she said that that it's like the people that are really sensitive to them, like I am, like them, I have these this major chemical sensitivity, are like, you know, waving the red flags for everybody that like can't, that, that doesn't feel that ever, that, you know, is so used to them sort mm-hmm. of desensitized to it um but you know if you just think about like well for example i'll just talk about myself for a second <laughs> i have this extreme chemical sensitivity so i can't be around anybody that has on tons of perfume or cologne specifically in la everybody's wearing Santal 33 and it, i can't it gives me an instant migraine oh well i'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to change my cologne then no, I know you don't wear that because I've been to your office. I can smell it through people's cars. When I was on Stuck in the Middle, the boys um, started wearing that, that cologne because, like, I don't know, somebody extra cool was wearing it. And, and I mean, it. I, anyway, it made me sick. So, um, 
Sarah's that way too, by the way, just so you know. Is she? Super sensitive. She's like super sensitive to all smells and chemicals and everything. And and, like she will, she'll smell something from like a mile away. You know, I don't know. She's like a hound dog or something. I don't know. Yes. So if you think about that and that, so if we're using just say those cleaning products in our house, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't bother us, but they are, those are chemicals. Those are the same chemicals that Dr. Viva was talking about, this endocrine-disrupting stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But And our children are breathing them in, and their little bodies are so extra sensitive. I don't know. I just, it makes me, I have to clean up my own life in this way, or else I can't function, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it, it makes me want to really clean up everything even more, because just to do everything that we can do to not um, have our kids, um, you know, experience early puberty right this, right no, and, and, and I just, weekend oh, oh, no. sorry go ahead I, I just want to add to that that you know what you said it's and what she said it's just so brilliant because we we only notice what we notice and our bodies are so amazing at handling whatever's around us and we just don't realize how it's affecting us until it gets really right. really severe and certain people are more sensitive but the fact that you know let's say you're sensitive to a smell everybody's probably sensitive to that smell. They just might not be as sensitive, so they don't notice that their body can handle it. But it doesn't mean it's not causing damage or it's not causing an issue to our kids. It doesn't mean that it is causing an issue for everybody, but it's like a tip of an iceberg, right? There's just, you know, who knows what's happening inside your body when we're breathing in these perfumes or chemicals. And there are some people that are, are more sensitive to it, and that's probably protective. It's probably better yeah. that you are. Yeah. I would like to just say and be super honest I was one of those people that wore way too much perfume, like for a huge part of my life. Um, and now I can't even, it like makes me nauseous just thinking about that, that, uh, that person. I was working on a film over the weekend and the makeup artist, they always ask you like, are you allergic to anything, you know, any products or whatever? And I always say like, no, I'll be fine. You know, whatever you want to use for the day, I'll be fine. But now I, I have to say, you know, whatever products you're, pro- you know, as long as there isn't any fake, ingre- you know, smells or ingredients, I, I'm fine. If not, I'm going to get sick. And then if like another actor is wearing like a crazy cologne or, or perfume. It, anyway, I'm, I'm, it's, it's become a really big, I know I, I, feel, I sound like a broken record, but it's become a really big deal in my own life. And I just want to keep cleaning it up for Nico now. Yeah. And I, I think that it's important that we all just think about these things because, you know, you might, if you're out there listening, you might not be super sensitive, but your children might. And, you know, mm-hmm. they might not be able to tell you that till they're five or 10 or 15 years old, but they're going through it for years and years and years. And any chemical that you can take out of their lives, any chemical, any decrease amount of toxins, is a good thing, right? Our bodies can handle a little bit, but if you could decrease it even by 1%, cleaners in your home, makeup, uh, the things that you buy, whatever you can do, if you can buy them with low or no toxins, if you can make things yourself wherever possible, diet Coke, do it, things do it. like that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> too. Whatever you could do, anything that you could do, it's going to make a difference because all that we are doing is making a difference in the wrong direction. It's time to start thinking about things so that we can move it into a more positive direction because the research does show that if you decrease chemicals over a couple of days it's noticeable in your body you can see 90 percent decreases in a lot of chemicals within just a few days if you check urine it doesn't take very long to make a huge difference that's so that make that gives me so much peace knowing that you know all these things that we are doing and trying to do actually do make a difference it, it does make a difference I, yeah. I don't know if anyone else watched the david attenborough special about this last year you know in the pandemic but you look at you know 
all the things that happen across the world and it was like about animals and all of these things and it's it's you know even in just one year like the populations of you know seals are higher and whales are higher all these things like it doesn't take very long if we clean up our act for things to go into a better direction and and you know los angeles had the best pollution day it had on record ever during the pandemic it, you know it's like it's possible to be done in just a couple of days if you just change what you're doing yeah, and then it's interesting too because I feel like when you do start cutting those things out of your life, and then you try to go back to it, you can't you can't tolerate it. No. At least for, that's no. my experience. That's definitely true. I mean, almost everybody's the same way. It's because you don't notice what you don't notice, but then once you start noticing it, you can't go back. But your body gets into a um, a state where it, it it knows how to handle it so that you can function. Um, but then as soon as you get away from it and you realize what you should feel like, then you can't go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like my days of being addicted to Diet Coke and perfume, Estee Lauder perfume. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know how bad I felt until I stopped. Uh, well, there, there goes our, our, Coke, our Coke sponsorship, too. Darn and it! We're running <laughs> out of companies. We're our sponsorships. <laughs> <laughs> Pepsi, come on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, we need to find some glass bottled water to Seriously. sponsor us. Like a, like, yeah. How about like a glacier? Can, like a, an, can a mountain sponsor us? Like a tree... Yeah, they'll sponsor us. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> we're doing our part. Um, no, anyway, Aviva, Dr. Aviva is amazing. And her book is out. So we'll link to it in our uh, Instagram. So if you're not following us, please follow us and um, get Aviva's new book. And let's all just do teeny tiny little things to clean up our lives for ourselves and our children. So we can keep raising the bar so we can raise amazing children. Thank you all so much for joining us each week. Please be sure to subscribe to the Raising Amazing podcast so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at Raising Amazing Podcast to catch any extra fun goodies for you and your kiddos. And if you'd like to submit a question to be featured on the show, you can send in your questions to RaisingAmazingPodcast at gmail.com along with your name and your city. That's it for us for now. We'll catch you next Wednesday on Raising Amazing. Happy parenting. May the force be with you.